Then they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, when the people heard that Jesus healed the sick, uh, droves of people followed him, multitudes. And mainly because they wanted signs and wonders. One day the crowds gathered around him while he was on his mountain, and they had listened to him preach for hours, maybe even the entire day, we imagine. They had no food or drink close by, and so Jesus tested his disciples and asked them, he said, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And instead of looking to him, they looked and counted their money. They counted the five loaves of bread and two fish, and they said, this isn't enough. Uh, you can't, we can't feed everyone. And so Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he told them to sit down, and he distributed it through his disciples And he kept handing out piece after piece after piece, and it never ran out. And about 5,000 men that day ate from five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I know you all know that part of the account very well. You've been taught it since your youth, uh, maybe even in Sunday school. Uh, You've learned it from your parents very well. But the next part... The last part of this text is what I want to focus on for the sermon. And it's this, that when the crowds realized how Jesus fed them, where the bread came from, the Bible says, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And then verse 15 says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. In other words, they were going to force Jesus to be their king. The Bible records about 37 miracles of Jesus. This miracle is right, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is right around the middle, the 19th miracle, almost the exact halfway point of all of his recorded miracles. He did more, but these are the ones that are written. Uh, So up to this point uh, in Jesus' life, The people, especially his disciples, the 12 disciples, have seen Jesus do uh, this list of things that I'm about to tell you. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine in an instant. They saw him heal an official son, drive out an evil spirit. They saw him heal Peter's mother-in-law from a sickness. They saw him heal the sick and the demon oppressed. They saw a miraculous catch of fish. They saw him heal a man with leprosy. They saw him heal the centurion's servant with a word. They saw him heal the the paralytic that was let down from the roof. Uh, They saw him heal a man with a withered hand, a hand that was dead. They, they, They saw him resurrect the son of the widow of Nain. They saw him calm a storm. They saw him cast demons into a herd of pigs. They saw him heal a woman who was bleeding, whom no doctors in the world could help. They saw him resurrect Jairus' daughter from the dead. They saw him give sight to people who were blind, two men. They saw him open the mouth of a mute man. They they, They saw him tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk, and he did. They saw all of this so far 
up until this miracle. The crowd saw most of these things. The disciples saw all of these things. And today they see something even more spectacular. Jesus take five pieces of bread and stretch it to feed 5,000 and plus. And with this, then they have seen enough. And they knew that Jesus had the power to do anything. He could do anything. Everyone knew Jesus could perform signs and wonders. In fact, about two months ago, we we observed the transfiguration of Jesus. And do you remember what Peter wanted from Jesus on uh, on that day? He said, it is good for us, Lord, to stay here on that mountain in your glory while you're shining and doing all of these amazing things. This is where we want to be. We don't want to be down there where the cross is, where all of the suffering and the pain is. Let's just stay here. Uh, Well, what Peter wanted on that day is what the 5,000 and plus people wanted on this day from Jesus, which is they wanted Jesus to stay and be their king, their temporal king, and make heaven and earth in that place. So think about it. Could Jesus have turned the entire world into that Mount of Transfiguration if he wanted to? Yeah, of course, he he could have. Could he have fed more than 5,000 people with bread? Yeah. If he wanted to, he could feed not only 5,000, but the entire world. Make it fall from the sky if he wanted. And we know that he could do it not just on one particular day 2,000 years ago, but every single day after that. He could do that every day, right? Uh, If he wanted to, he could feed the world endlessly in the same exact way he did that day. He could restore the sight. He could snap his fingers and all the blind would see again. He could snap his fingers. All those who are sick with illness and disease, they would be healed. He could deliver anyone and everyone from demon possession and oppression. And so for this reason, that is the reason the crowds want to make him their king, even by force, by force if they had to, because that is the life they wanted to have. Now, I want you to imagine if they got what they wanted. What if the crowds were successful in forcing Jesus to be their king, in, in, in building a kingdom right there around him. I'll put it in today's terms. Imagine if Jesus was elected and inaugurated as our president. Just imagine that. There would be no hungry people. None. There would be no need for food stamps or welfare. Uh, their health care and insurance would shut down. No one would need it. Hospitals would close down because Jesus would heal us right then and there. The national debt would be wiped out because we'd live beyond money, past money. There'd be no taxes. It would be a relic of the past. There's no need to collect when you just have. There'd be no need for restaurants or businesses. We'd wake up morning after morning without breaking a sweat with a full banquet on our table anytime we wanted. Every ache and pain that you have would be gone. No medicine, no pharmacies, no surgeries, no crutches, no wheelchairs, none of that. That is what things would look like if Jesus were our king, our president. 
And it sounds amazing. It sounds beautiful. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted from Jesus. This is what Peter, the disciples, and the crowds have been waiting to see from They've been waiting for this. It's like they said, look, we've been striving day and night for centuries and for millennia. We've debated government systems and policies and legislations, and we can replace it all with you overnight. You just keep doing what you're doing. We will build the kingdom around you. Let's just do that. We'll have everything we need. Uh, Jesus, you, uh, we've been waiting for you to act like this and not some, some lowly, meek, and humble sort of person. We want you to do this sort of stuff. So if you can do it here in this place, then do it in every place. And if you can do it today, then do it every other day too. That's what we want. That's what we, we're going to make you do that if we can. That's what they were longing for. Now, if we, it's not just them, but we too long for this. But if we succeeded in making Jesus our king by force, I admit that things would be nice for a while. It would be a utopia, something that people strive for and try to do, but it ends in war and bloodshed and massacres. But this would be a utopia that would be successful, something we've never seen, the greatest place to live. He would feed the world. Our stomachs would be full, but heaven would be empty. Do you see this? This is because no matter how many of these inconveniences and troubles are solved and figured out in this life, we still would not have solved the problem of sin in our heart. If we set up a kingdom around Jesus and kept him to be our king, to, kept him alive, uh, didn't crucify him, didn't despise him, didn't reject him, we just kept him there in, in a golden palace to just give us everything we wanted in this life, then who would die for our sins? Who would pour out his perfect and holy blood to redeem us? Sure, Jesus could have kept feeding everyone in the same way day after day, but what would all the food and health and glory and success and safety and pleasure amount to if we remained in our sins? What good would it be? If we remained in our sins, then God remains angry with us. No matter how many things he would give us in this life, he would remain our enemy in eternity. He would befriend us here, but then be our enemy in eternity. And if the, if the best we could hope for ever in this life is meeting our temporary needs, having everything we want without lifting a finger, what good would any of it be for if it were all to amount to this, that when we die, when we breathe our last, we would die and go to hell forever? This is the problem. That we've been too involved and wrapped up in the things of this life, in our own happiness, in our own leisure and pleasure, our own health and wealth and success, that we have overlooked the most crucial and profound problem in the world. And it is not the problem of world politics. It is not the problem of a shortage of food. Is not clothing or homelessness or unemployment or even war and disease. The, the, the world will tell you, look, our, our biggest problem, our real problem is going to be climate change 
or uh, it's the weather. It's fossil fuel. That's the problem. It's foreign policy. It's the patriarchy. Uh, it's the schools. It's that we're too tolerant. It's that we're intolerant. It's that uh, we need more laws. We need less laws. We need no laws. We need bigger government. We need less government. We need no government. We need to fund this. We need to defund that. On and on. They're going to tell you, this is the problem. This is what you got to throw your money at. This is the thing you got to be concerned about. Don't worry about this. Worry about that is what they're saying. And the list goes on. I'm not saying that we can't debate these things, but these genuinely, as you know, are not the problem. This is not the biggest problem we face. The world says all of our problems are out there, out here. But the real problem is in here in your heart. It is sin. The problems out there are just a symptom of what is in here. Why do you think those things are happening? Because of what is in the heart. So that's what the world wants Jesus for. For the things out there. But not for the thing and the problem in here. They, critic, they criticize God for not taking care of these problems. <clears throat> uh, you shouldn't, though. In fact, just imagine that Jesus did in fact do this. Imagine he did give you all you wanted and needed for this life, but he said, go ahead, you deal with your sins. I'll leave, you, leave that to you. You think that's the small problem. You think these are the big problems. I'll take care of the big things. You take care of that little thing you think of, right? Uh, would you be able to wake up in the morning if that were the case? Would you enjoy a meal with your wife and children knowing that the moment you die you'll face the worst possible pain and sadness for eternity. Would all of the things cover up the fact that you have no answer for your sin or that you have to live with a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's adversaries? If God gave you the most comfortable bed to sleep in at night for free, but you knew that when you die, you would be damned. Would you actually sleep? If God gave you the best food, a banquet every single day for free, but you knew that you would be condemned to hell when you die, would you enjoy it? I doubt you would for even a second. We, we have trouble enjoying things just when the, 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 the bills pile up. Or when we see something bad on the news. Now, in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus put it very simply in these words. He said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, the entire world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Who would make that trade? Who's going to make that trade? So the point is this. Jesus deals with the greatest thing. The biggest thing, the most important thing first. And then he deals with all the other things, the secondary and tertiary things. He accomplishes the greatest thing first. He gives you peace of heart and soul and mind through the forgiveness of sins. He accomplishes your salvation first and foremost. He did not come to be celebrated and praised and accepted and received with open arms. He didn't come to live as our president or king. That's why he withdrew. He ran away from it. He didn't come to live as our king. He came to die as our savior. 
He came to atone for the sins of the world. He came precisely to be despised and mocked, to be rejected, to have spit, our spit upon his face, to wear not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns, to die alone on the cross, to take away the wrath of God from us by enduring it himself. Jesus didn't come to give the bread, but to be the bread of life, that whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Every single failure and regret and mistake of your life, every sin, Jesus blotted out with his, the blood in his veins. He took away God's anger from you. He took away your condemnation, your punishment, the eternity in hell. Every single second that we deserved of our eternity in hell, he erased it and took it all away. And with his empty tomb, he assures us that when the Father looks at us, he looks at us with favor. That the Father is looking at us that when we die, he is waiting with open arms to bring us home to himself once and for all. And all of this Jesus does first. The truth is that someday... Jesus will bring us to a place like that mountain. He will bring us to an eternal feeding of the 5,000, an eternal transfiguration, but he hasn't yet. Now, some people will ask, why? Why not? If he's going to do it then, then just go ahead and do it now. <laughs> why are we in this? Why, are we, why is he waiting so long? Just hurry up. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know God knows. He is wiser and smarter, and he knows more than we do. He's also more loving and holier than we are. So I can't tell you why God didn't do something. I can only tell you what God did do and that what he did is best. So, so it's not for us to struggle and try and attempt to answer why God hasn't done something in a certain way. It's enough for us to concern ourselves with what he has done. What I do know is that God has chosen to keep us in this veil of tears, this brief life of labor, for just a little while longer. Just a little bit longer. I don't know how much that is. It could be hours or days for you, or another 20, 30, 50 years. I don't know. But he has chosen to keep you in this valley of hunger and disease and lying politicians and overbearing government with people who shoot up churches and burn churches down with misery and anguish left and right. And the worst of all, that, that we're left with the memory of our own sin and guilt so I can understand the desire to get rid of this all. But would you trade what you have been given for that? Would you change it? Would you exchange it for the other? Would you give up the forgiveness of sins, the peace of mind that God loves you, that he is not angry with you for the things of this life? I, I, I wouldn't, and I don't think you would. Because we have now what is far better than anything we could ever hold in this life that will turn to dust. We have something that won't fail or fade because we wait now. We have what is better, but we wait for what is lesser. We wait for the smaller thing. The little things. And that's still to come. So dear saints, Jesus came to deal with the most important thing first. He came to deal with your sin. And he has. 
And soon in his day and in his time, he'll come again to deal with the rest. To deal with all the other problems. So while we wait in this life of labor, you have no reason ever to fear or be anxious or worry about a thing. No matter what goes on around you, you can lay your head down at night at the end of the day and sleep in peace. Knowing that you have a God who is your savior, who gave life and limb for you who poured out the blood in his veins for you. Your life could be falling apart right now as we speak. And you can say, so what? My salvation is intact and it has not changed. Everything has changed, but not that. That endures forever. You could eat the worst meal of your life tonight. You could go hungry tonight and still be with a smile because you know that of the great banquet that God has promised to set before you. You could get the worst diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis, the worst news tomorrow, and yet say, for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Jesus has already dealt with the real problem. He's already dealt with all of your sins. He took away your biggest problem, and so wait patiently while he comes to take care of the rest. Wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.